today I'm here with Tony Bacigalupo, who is um, pioneering a, a, a movement that is just starting to get started in the U.S. He's doing it in New York. It's not big yet, so Tony's not like a guy that sold his company for a billion dollars, but I think he's on the edge of something that has uh, a lot of potential to be very big, and that is co-working or shared office space or... I don't know the, the right way to explain it, but Tony's company is uh, CoWorkspace. So, um, Tony, thanks for joining us, and maybe you can tell us a bit about what you're doing. Uh, thanks, Adrian. Uh, yeah, the so we're, the organization uh, that I run is called New Work City, uh, like New York City, but with a W, and it's a co-working space in New York City uh, where entrepreneurs and freelancers get together and uh, do their work, uh, just like a, a typical workspace, but our space is more of a community-focused workspace. And what I mean by that is that people who come into work here um, come in with the intention to get their work done, but not just to get their work done, also to interact with the other folks around them uh, and potentially collaborate, find people to work with on projects, and uh, also to make friends and have some social interactions. And um, it's part of a larger movement of co-working spaces that are popping up in cities all over the world, um, some of which use the term co-working to describe what they do and some don't. Uh, and they really vary in all sorts of shapes and sizes, uh, from small communities of people that just gather in apartments and cafes uh, to more fully-fledged uh, office facilities um, that have varying levels of community involvement. Um, what gave you the idea? Well, I was working from home, and I had worked from home for about a year and initially enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I, I really you know, liked not having to commute and not having to sit in, a, uh, uh, in an uninteresting office space. Um, but I found that it was... You know, the home wasn't really an ideal work environment either. And, you know, being my, by myself all day and, uh, you know, spending all my time in the same room that I sleep in and in the same house that I, you know, eat in and relax in, it wasn't really a natural work environment. And it wasn't really healthy to just be sitting in your house by yourself all day. And uh, So I thought, you know, there has to be a better option, uh, something that isn't a typical office, but isn't uh, isn't your home either, and you know. So the initial conversation I was having uh, with uh, it was actually with my parents was, you know, it would be great if there was something like Starbucks, uh, but for people specifically for people who are working from home. And I did some research and discovered that there was, in fact, already a growing movement for this, uh, and it was called co-working, and it embodied everything that I was looking for. It was a bunch of people who are working from home looking to get out of their homes and work together. Isn't that and ironic? Like, work from home is one of the biggest um, markets that people sell to. Everyone wants to quit their job and work from home, mm. and now you guys are saying, don't work from home, come and work in the office. Well, yeah, I mean, I had the advantage of having gotten a little bit ahead of the curve. This was almost three years ago, almost three years ago now that I sought out co-working, which means I had been working from home for a year before that, and... You know, what, I, what I've come to realize over time, uh, after having encountered so many of these folks who are in these similar positions, is that when, when people talk about wanting to work from home, some of them actually do want to work from home. But for some people, working from home works great, especially if you're a parent or, you know, in certain situations, it's, it's a very good thing. 
But what people, I think, what a lot of people are talking about when they say they want to work from home, what they mean to say is that they want to be able to choose where they work. And they want to be able to work uh, in a circumstance that works best for them. And so, you know, along the way, I've, I've, I've said a lot of things that are sort of anti-cubicle, anti-nine-to-five, and um, I've sort of reined that in a little bit, too, because a lot of people like their cubicles. A lot of people work best when they have to get up and commute and, and work in a, an enclosed space. And what I realized is that the, the thing that we're moving towards in terms of the workplace is um, to be in a position where each person can choose where they work best and that you know, managers, for instance, in larger companies should be able to offer to their employees multiple options so that they can work best in whatever circumstances you know, they prefer. And so so I, I, asked, yeah. uh, I talked to one of my friends about this and I was like, you know, these guys have got a cool idea and it's interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that's running, I don't know, he's got 40-something people full-time spread around the U.S. Mm-hmm. He only hires people in the U.S. Um, <clears throat> they all work from home. He's someone that knows a lot about this. And I, I've worked from home since 2001, so I thought I knew quite a lot. But he's been teaching me a lot. He's kind of kicking me my ass and showing me how much I really <laughs> didn't know. Um, when, I, when I told him about what you were doing, he, and I was like, you know, this is really great, and I want to go and work in that space, he's like, it sounds really distracting. Mm. Yeah, so he's, a, he's a pretty successful business guy, yep. and he's not going to want to be in there and have lots of uh, startups coming and pestering him with questions all day. Yeah, so this is actually a fairly typical, um, a fairly popular uh, initial reaction to this idea of a co-working space. And point of fact, it, it can be distracting. There are times when it can be difficult to do work here, uh, you know, because there are a lot of people around, they're talking about things. Uh, you know, and sometimes you can't help but get yourself involved in a conversation that's going on. Um, what we found, though, is that there are a couple of there are a couple of other factors at play here. Uh, for one, part of part of what's nice about a co-working space is that it's it's entirely optional. So at any time, you can come and go as you please, and most of our membership only comes maybe two two days a week or so. And so, well, if they only come two days a week, where are they working the rest of the time? Well, they're working at home, or they're working uh, on site with a client, perhaps. Uh, you know, or they or they're going somewhere else. Uh, you know, the, the our membership is extremely mobile, so they'll you know some of our members might work in three or four different locations in one day, and um, you know, it really depends on what the circumstances are, what they need at a given time, and what I found is that. For a lot of our members, they need to be able to get out of the house sometimes just to open up their minds a little bit to be able to, you know, they actually could have trouble concentrating if they're cooped up in their homes for too long uh, of a period of time. So people need a change of pace. You know, some people work better when there's some activity going on around them. And uh, I see a lot of people here who, you know, they put on their headphones and they're they're working by themselves, but... Um, they clearly appreciate having some other people around them and some other opportunities for interaction. And so that's one component of it is the fact that, that, that people can choose what kind of environment they want when they need it, and sometimes co-working works for them. But the other thing is that um, the distractions that happen here, the, the things that are going on around you, 
tend to be of a more productive slant. So when people are talking about stuff here, it tends to be things that are um, helping us advance our businesses or helping us think up new ideas. And so what, what you tend to find in a co-working space is that if you, if you come home at the end of the day not having accomplished everything that you set out to accomplish, you might likely find that you've accomplished other things that you never expected to have done uh, that were unexpectedly great and unexpectedly useful for you. And, um, well, you can, but that also can be in, uh, you know, time-wasting, too. Um, yeah, right. I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, is so, that balance. But yeah, so, I mean, and, and people tend to stay and be happy, do they? Like, how long, when someone joins, uh, do, do you have a lot of turnover, or do people, do people join and stay, or do they cancel? We, we have, I mean, we have a pretty wide range of, of both. I'd say that the average member is probably, um, you know, probably a member for about six months or so. We have, I, I mean, I can tell you from people who have left that the, the vast majority of people who've left have left because of circumstantial reasons. They've moved to another state or they got a different job or something like that. And you've only been around for a year as well. That's right. Mm. And uh, before that, we were doing co-working, but we were doing it in a cafe. Uh, so it was less of a formal workspace and more of a, a, an informal gathering. Mm. And so how, how big is what you have now? So we've got uh, 45 members. Uh, and those are folks who are subscribed, uh, who pay a monthly rate. And then we have a, a wider array of people who come and use the space on an ad hoc basis day to day, uh, and then a much larger community of people who come to our events and support us in other ways. Hmm. And so, Pete, those 45 guys, the cost is like 500 bucks a month, right? So, yeah, the highest level of service is $500 a month, and that's for a full-time desk. Mm -hmm. uh, but it varies anywhere from $25 a day uh, and then the most popular memberships are in the middle, 150 and 200 a month, and that gets you two or three days a week, and that's sort of the sweet spot for most of these folks. So, I mean, how does how much can you customize stuff for a guy like me? Like I have my big 30-inch monitor, and mm -hmm. I like to drink tea during the day. How does that sort of stuff work? Well, that's what's really kind of nice about this being a very down-to-earth, community sort of driven effort. Um, we're we're completely flexible as long as you're not interfering with the folks next to you. Uh, you know, if you're if you're a full-time member, you can claim a desk, and if you want to put your monitor on there, if you want to put anything else on there, it's fine with us as long as you're not a huge slob. You know, and uh, you know, in terms of tea or any other needs, um, you know, you're welcome to bring whatever you like, and as long as you don't mind uh, sharing it or uh, you know keeping it uh, tucked away somewhere. Oh, so everybody goes through everybody's stuff. Well, it depends. You know, I mean, if you want to, if you want to make it uh, publicly available, then you can do so. And if you don't, then you just gotta, you know, find a spot to stick it where people will understand that it's not for public consumption. So, what about, like, for example, I have a filing cabinet. Where do you put your filing cabinet? Mm -hmm. So, most of the folks here don't need to store papers or anything to that effect. We have some lockers, uh, which are available to full timers. Uh, so, we've had, we haven't had too many people. Uh, who really needed file storage of any kind. Hmm. But the people who have needed some kind of storage, we've been able to accommodate them. And so maybe is, is that the sort of stuff then you keep maybe your filing cabinet at home, you keep your books at home, and you have your desk and you have a monitor. If you're going to use it full-time like that, then you put it up, set it up with a desk and a monitor, um, keep a couple of things tucked away that you don't want people to take. 
and then that becomes your workspace. Right. There are two basic models. There's, there's most people just come in with a laptop and they set up and, and sort of they set up and break down and they leave and it's all contained. And then the other model is basically someone leaves an external monitor here, uh, you know, a dedicated keyboard and maybe a dock of some kind. And then when they come in, they drop their laptop into their station and they're ready to go. Mm. Do you, and so what, what kind of uh, internet do you have? Uh, we've got a, um, a high-speed DSL connection. It's uh, 5 megabit up and down. Oh, that did? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been real tricky getting uh, killer Internet connections here. One of the things that we're working on is uh, we've already got quotes on, on the higher-speed 100 megabit connections, but um, we can't justify it yet with the size of our space. Right now our space is... Uh, the whole space is about 1,500 square feet. Um, so when we move to a larger space next year, we're going to crank up that Internet. But it seems to be everyone, everyone here is pretty happy with the speed that we've got now. And do you have Wi-Fi in there as well? Yes. So, why, so people can come in, they can plug in with their Wi-Fi, plug in with their Ethernet, and then they're off. There you go. Hmm. What are, so what are, how are distractions? I mean, let's say that... Um, Let's say that you had some guy that was fairly well known that came in. Like, let's say Jason Freed from 37 Signals decided mm -hmm. he wanted to work in your space. Right. Um, is he going to be bothered all day? Well, uh, you know, there's one of the things that, that, that happens with this, with this kind of a space is that it's, it's sort of self-enforcing. So if, if someone's going to be annoying, it's going to become apparent very quickly. And I... Uh, People here will sort of manage it amongst themselves, and you know I'm obviously here to to make sure things don't get out of hand. But um, people respect each other. You know, if someone is sitting there working, and you know they've got their headphones on, or they're you know they're obviously busy, uh, they can make it apparent that you know they don't want to be bothered right now. And uh, we've talked about devising systems. We've we've used some in the past where you have you know so, sort of like in a Brazilian steakhouse where you have you know a green light, red light sort of thing to let people know whether or not you're busy. Uh, one of the co-working spaces in Los Angeles, Blank Spaces, produces some great little commercials, and one of the ones they've done recently had to do with exactly this, where they had sort of a little instructional video that says, you know, when I'm not wearing headphones, you're free to talk to me. Uh, when I'm wearing one headphone, it means, you know, you can talk, but keep it quick, and if I'm wearing two headphones, it means leave me the hell alone. And... Uh, it was a pretty funny commercial, and anybody who works in a co-working space could appreciate it. Hmm. What about phone calls? Yeah, so phone calls is an interesting challenge, uh, particularly for us because we're a pretty small space. We've, we've only got one uh, private room for our members. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens is uh, essentially people will use the, the, the private room uh, for phone calls as a primary option. Uh, and then if, you know, if that's taken, then... Either they'll find a corner of the space where they can talk on the phone and not bother too many people, uh, or they'll keep their voice down. Uh, or what a lot of people do is, uh, for phone calls where they don't really need to be in front of their machine, um, they'll take a walk. They'll either be in the hallway or they'll be in a different part of the space. Uh, but it's, it's definitely a trade-off. One of the things we want to do in our next space is make sure that we have uh, ample number of small private rooms for people to either be on phone calls or have two or three person conversations. Um, but essentially, 
you know, it's it's our biggest, I would say it's our biggest challenge in the space that we've got, but people seem to be reasonably okay with it, in part because uh, that's one of the things that people who come to my space are looking for, is, is a more, um, they're willing to trade off their pri- a little bit of privacy and a little bit of silence in exchange for a more open, more social environment. And that's sort of why we exist in the first place, because there are all of the other options that had existed previously um, offered nothing but private workspace, and people were looking for an alternative to that. Hmm. It's interesting about people coming only two days a week. So does it maybe do they feel better, they want to work from home part of the time and then have some more social interaction part of the time during the week? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks come in uh, when they want to work with their business partners or, or with, you know, folks that they work with on their team. So they might, they might likely schedule some times where, you know, they'll, work, they'll plan to work from home on certain days or they'll work wherever they want to work certain days. But then they say, okay, you know, when we want to work together, we'll work at Newark City and we'll meet there, you know, every Tuesday and Thursday or whatever it is. Uh, so a lot of folks that are here on those two or three day a week plans are here in pairs or in trios or, you know, or on occasion do that. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'm interested that you, you've kind of referred to this almost like it's a, it's a social movement rather than a business. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a very interesting thing because, um, these are sort of the waters that I'm beginning to, to work on navigating. I mean, so which way do you like there to go? Are you going to be Craigslist or are you going to be eBay or are you? <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by uh, the world of social enterprise. I think that what we're doing here uh, is very much part of this growing world of businesses that uh, want to make a profit but uh, also have, you know, social causes in mind, social goals in mind for their, for their organization. Um, co-working spaces in general, you know, there, there are a lot of them and, and all over the world, and most of them have begun, most of them have been started by folks who have had not entrepreneurial ambitions, at least directly from the co-working space itself, uh, and more social ambitions, more you know, they wanted to cultivate this community. They wanted to have a space for their own needs and share that with other people. There have been a lot of spaces that have started uh, underneath a design firm or, or, or an agency where there are obvious benefits to having other freelancers and potential jobs physically located in your office. So it's a sort of a, a way to generate leads. Um, but one of the things that I'm sort of, that we're sort of trying to navigate now in, in several of our co-working spaces is figuring out where to go from here because we've, we've started these, these spaces and they're pretty, pretty well sustainable unto themselves, but they're not necessarily uh, in their current form uh, businesses that are going to grow into uh, you know, massive uh, or even you know, reasonably large businesses in their current form. And for a lot of people, that's fine because they're doing this as a side project or they're doing this to complement their existing business. Um, one of the things that I'm working on is turning this into something that, uh, that could be my primary, you know, full-time uh, business. And that takes a lot of different forms, and I don't think it's just purely 
the co-working space at that point. Mm. Um, so you potentially want to scale this into something that 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 you can go and like build co-working spaces all across. I mean, you become like Starbucks. Is that kind of is that one one potential thought? I guess? Well, it's 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 hard to it's hard to really. See it's hard to really see where where what kind of role I'd want to play in something like that. You know, one of the things that makes co-working spaces uh, as cool as they are is that they're very local. They're very rooted in their existing communities. So it's not something. And again, I'm talking about the. But kind you know, of, people people would have said that about Starbucks and about coffee houses, and then Starbucks come along and commoditized it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, but here's the other thing I'm thinking about as you're telling me all of this is that there's. A lot of guys who have teams that they have working for them all around the country mm-hmm. that would probably love to be able to sign up for a nationwide membership for something like this and say, okay, each person I'm going to give, I'm going to pay 250 bucks a month, and that will give right. them access to office space in any city in the U.S. for up to two or three days a week. Sure. And there's this network of all of these spaces that they can go and use. Sure. Well, and and, and point of fact, they can, you know, the the infrastructure exists for for what you're basically describing in the form of things like Regis, uh, which offer sort of these executive office suites. Um, and that being said, I think there is a, a growing opportunity for something similar to what we're doing in co-working spaces on a larger scale, perhaps for larger uh, organizations that want to place people you know, in multiple cities, that sort of thing. Um, I think there is an opportunity there. Whether or not you know that's something that's a direction that that I'd like to go is is something that I'm evaluating because uh, it's you know it's it's a it's while while we're learning how to how to make a model that works in, in you know we're we're sort of proving the concept uh, you know taking it to that scale is is a very different business and very interesting business is just a matter of you know what kind of role I'd like to play and what kind of direction I'd like to take things because the other thing is that there are a lot of other there are a lot of other directions that you can go if you start with the foundation of a thriving co-working space. There are a lot of people here who are starting businesses together, and um, there's a lot of innovation aspects that are going on there. There's some educational components as well. Uh, and so you know, part, of, part of what we do at New York City is we want to help make it easier for people to lead independent lives. And so there are different components to that. And you know, a few different directions we can go, and that's sort of what we're working on now is determining where we want to direct our efforts. And um, so, I mean, what, are you interested in helping launch startups from it, potentially? Yeah, yeah, well, we already we already are sort of, I don't want to say by accident, but just by existing. Uh, you know, when, when someone comes in and they're new to the space and they tell me they're working on something, you know, or they're interested in something, I'll see to it that they're introduced to the other people in the community that are working on similar things. And uh, I've I've lost count of how many times I've walked into the space and found people who I know had previously never known each other all of a sudden working together on a project. And so there's definitely, um, you know, co-working spaces are definitely helping to facilitate uh, the growth and the existence of, you know, entrepreneurial efforts of one one form or another. And... I think there are some. I think there are a lot of different things that can be done to help facilitate that even more, uh, more actively. Hmm. I mean, do, do you want to actually help incubate? And I mean, do you want to be an angel investor? Is that what you're looking to do? 
Um, I don't know about angel investments. Uh, you know, I think that there are, I think there are opportunities there certainly for helping with financing for the, you know, for people who are getting started. Um, so it's something that's, that's certainly out there. It's, it would just, we just have to figure out the right way to approach it. Uh, you know, one of the things we're talking about doing, uh, is, is like a mentorship program, uh, where perhaps we get some, uh, external help and we get folks uh, who are perhaps have demonstrated some interest and some passion for uh, starting something, uh, but maybe don't have the proper resources to get started or are coming from, you know, perhaps an underprivileged background or, or if they're young, uh, and pairing them up with experienced folks who can sort of show them the ropes and help them get started and along the way work with one another. Uh, so there are a couple of, you know, like I said, educational components there as well. Uh, we're, well, we're that's not, I could probably help you with Made Innovators. Yeah, yeah, well, that would be great. Hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're real interested in, in, in education and, and particularly, you know, students either in high school or college who have entrepreneurial uh, inclinations uh, but maybe aren't, aren't finding, uh, you know, any particular infrastructure or resources to actually, you know, get thrown into the, into the water, you know, so to speak, and, and get their hands dirty and really learn how to run businesses themselves. And I think, you know, I think there wouldn't, I think there's no better way for someone to learn how to work for themselves than to try it out and, and certainly to be in an environment around other people who have been doing it all the time. Um, and it's remarkable, I mean, the quality of the, the people that are here. They're all just very experienced, independent folks, and they all know how to run their own businesses and, and figure out how to, you know, make a living on, on their own. And so they're very inspiring people, and they, they, also, they have a lot to offer in terms of, you know, learning how to follow in their footsteps. Have you had uh, many guys that have started businesses in your, um, in your space and then gone off and... Uh, raise money and got offices and all that stuff. Yeah, we've. Um, it's funny. We actually had more of those right before we opened. We had some people who were involved, and uh, it took us a while to get our, our our physical, our dedicated space up and running. So we had a, a bunch of people who were sort of on board early on, who sort of outgrew us before before they had a chance to actually uh, sign up into the space. But um, we've definitely had we have a couple couple of folks who have sort of you know restructured things and moved on and and grown outgrown the space, but not maybe not in, in, in as obvious a way as you know hey that startup in the corner just got funding let's have a party for them and you know wish them well and they moved on. We haven't really seen that yet, uh, although it's probably one or two companies here now that I I'd say that that's going to happen. Actually, the folks at um, a couple of folks at CoTweet uh, the uh, the uh, Twitter company um, worked here for a little while, uh, and they obviously moved on to San Francisco. So, you know, it takes a lot of different shapes and sizes. I've had um, a bunch of guys who have been successful that I've talked to in the New York area mm-hmm. um, that have got spare cash, and, and they've, they've mentioned to me, like, hey, do you know of any, any hot companies to invest in? Mm-hmm. Um, you're clearly the guy with your ears to the ground that knows what's out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, not all of our members are working on things that, uh, you know, that would entail investment. A lot of them are doing contract type stuff. But there are a lot of people who are working on uh, great little startups, uh, you know, of all, 
you know, some people are working on multiple things and, and building, you know, little products one, you know, one thing at a time here. But people are always building something new and interesting. And, and you know, yeah, there's there's certainly stuff that, uh, you know, people are looking for money, uh, and I'd love to hook them up with uh, people who'd like to invest in them. So back to just the question, understand, I'm just trying to understand. I know you don't have it completely clear yet of, of being either a social movement or a business. Sure. Um, I mean, do you see this, or do you just not have an answer yet, and you're just trying to find your way forward? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's honestly where it's at, but I think, you know, again, I think it can be both. Uh, you know, I think it can be a, a, a business which, you know, which is built upon a social movement, and, you know, that's what I'd really like to aim for is to strike a, a sweet spot there. Co-working in general, right? People talk about co-working as a social movement, and that is pretty much just a social movement. That's just a concept that people uh, are, uh, subscribe to, and, you know, they either build businesses or they build communities off of that. Um, New York City, the organization that I run, uh, you know, is, is very much a business that was built uh, out of that community that we built uh, you know, we sort of had a we had a community before we had a business, and that's one of the reasons that uh, that it works so well for us. But I'd like to see this grow and become a business that can employ the people that are passionate about helping helping to grow the organization, so that they can work on it all the time. And you know, I know that the more time um, that these folks can dedicate to New York City and growing the community, uh, the more positive impact we're going to be able to create uh, for our members and for our city. And that's really where, where I'd like to see us go, is to be able to just create as much positive impact as possible and, you know, help people, uh, help as many people as we can. I mean, could I ask, and I, I mean, I guess, I, you know, you know me, so I will just ask, mm-hmm. it, does it, it feels a little bit like you have something that's good and easy and, and it, you may be over, overcomplicating it. I mean, aren't there some basic things that people need? They need quiet space, good fast internet, Wi-Fi, desks that are, that are okay, some places to do phone calls, um, a system for check-in and check-out. Right. I mean, with those, and I'm sure there's a couple more things beyond that, but those are sort of the basics. Is that not then something that you could just go and start scaling Starbucks-wise all around the country? Well... Perhaps. You, know, you, you pick a new city. Let's say you want to launch in Baltimore. So right. you want to la- launch the, the co-work space in Baltimore. You, know, mm-hmm. uh, you, you get a, a, a national name for it. You do a bunch of direct marketing flyers and online advertising and stuff to get – because you, you might know that you need – like you, you said, you have 45 people. So you need 45 people or you might need 30 people to make a space break even and then 45 to, to make a, a profit – Right. So you go and do the marketing, you get the sign-ups, and then, and then as soon as you've got that, then, then that's, you know, you might know it takes a month to fill a new space. And right. And you can just do that and expand around the country like Walmart, did or Starbucks, or anyone else. I mean, is there something I'm missing with that? I'm sure there are many things. Maybe you can... You can <laughs> well, so what you're describing, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't suggest that it's a bad idea, but what I, what I would say is that what, what's missing from it um, is sort of the secret sauce that makes co-working spaces, that attracts people to co-working spaces over places like Regis and some of the more uh, cut-and-dried office suites. And it's the fact that it's rooted in an existing community that had an existing set of needs. So before, before I opened the space, I went and got to know everybody I could in the community, and we started doing co-working wherever we could, in, in apartments, in basements, wherever it was. 
And along the way, you know, I determined it became clear that there was a critical mass of people that needed something, you know, reasonably specific. And it wasn't something that I imposed upon them. It was something that they were collectively uh, helping me shape. And so the issue with something like going to Baltimore, opening up a space, uh, and then flyering the area is that you don't have any existing community infrastructure to build upon. And you can certainly, you can certainly work on building that community infrastructure before opening a space, but it has to be done in such a way that is, that, that oh, okay, so how about this? What if you had a design co-work space and then you had a, a finance co-work space and a, you know, right. that sort of stuff? Is that, I mean, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it can, it, that's why I think that's where things are going to start going. Because, you know, again, we're, we're talking about something that's very early on here. And so all the co-working spaces we have, you know, among all of them, none, none of them is really more than three years old or so uh, in terms of places that, have, that are self-declared co-working spaces. And so I think that, you know, as you had sort of alluded to, I think this is something that's going to continue to grow. We're going to see a lot more people working in co-working-like situations in the future. And maybe the, maybe the word co-working won't even be used, but these sort of community, uh, you know, flexible workspaces and, you know, they're going to take different shapes and sizes. People who are designers are going to have very different needs from, you know, lawyers and, and business people and people in all sorts of different industries. And so while right now there's, you know, maybe only one or two or three co-working spaces in any given city, they're all sort of general purpose co-working spaces that appeal to, you know, anybody who can just work on a laptop for the most part. Uh, but I think Well, as, that's us right now, but that's becoming everybody. That's true. That's true. So you know, maybe the, you know, maybe there's going to be sort of this sweet spot of you know spaces that more or less just appeal to folks who are on their laptops for the most part, and then there might be you know more specific, more differentiated uh, niche kinds of workspaces that appeal to a certain demographic. I mean, there there are already sort of derivative kinds of places. There there are hardware hacker spaces uh, in New York. There's NYC Resistor. Uh, Alpha One Labs, basically, you know, hands-on workspaces where people are actually building things by hand. And uh, there are writers' rooms where people, you know, it's it's, it's specifically for folks who are writing. Um, and so they they have a much more strict, uh, strictly quiet environment. Um, there's a space in New York called In Good Company that's only for female entrepreneurs, and they have some you know, associated mentorship and education programs associated with that. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're getting all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And Cubes and Crayons in San Francisco is a great example. It's a, it's a co-working space with an attached uh, daycare center. So it's for, uh, you know, parents who work from home who also have kids to take care of. And, and that's been wildly successful. And they're, they've, uh, they've expanded to two or three locations now. Hmm. Yeah, this seems to me to be the kind of thing, it's the, it's the quiet before the storm and something's going to happen and this is going to blow up. Um, it, it just seems to me to make too much sense. I um, completely agree. I completely agree. And, you know, I, mean, I think that there's, you, you know, you can see the trends happening in the workplace. Uh, you know, more and more companies are moving away from the traditional, uh, the traditional models. And if you look at some of the larger companies, so many of the really large companies have have got very uh, you know very un, unusual looking models 
uh, you know, IBM and, and Intel and, and uh, a lot of these businesses, Sun, where you can just, you know, if you're an employee, most of their employees can pretty much just check in, you know, to one of their locations in any city at any time and, and just drop into a spot. And it's, it's very, um, very flexible, very mobile. How, how do you compete against others? I mean, there are obviously other, other uh, comp, uh, groups like yours in New York. How do you compete against them? I mean, how do you avoid becoming a commodity? Well, you know, it's, it, what's interesting is that it's still, I think, very nascent. Um, there, aren't, there aren't a lot of other groups in New York that are doing what we're doing, uh, very few. And, you know, the, the way that it, not, it becomes not a commodity is that it becomes an organic thing. It springs out of a need from a critical mass of people who have found each other. And that's, that's one of the reasons that what we're doing at Newark City in its current form is not something that's readily replicable uh, across, different, across different cities and across different places. So, you know, I'm not worried about another co-working space opening up so much because I already have a critical group of people that have a sense of personal ownership in the organization that we've built together over this time. Well, the problem with that is that it's not scalable, but if you, I guess if you can find a way to scale that concept, then you've got something. Well, right. I mean, it's not necessarily something I ever intended to scale, you know, and that's, that's part of what it is, too, is that, you know, New York City, even in its name, you know, has this implication of being something that exists to support, you know, a, a group of people in New York City. And so, you know, part of its... Part of its goal is to grow here in New York, but to stay here in New York and to be something that that supports New York's entrepreneurial economy. You just um, wanted to find a family. Come on. Yeah, well, you know that's part of it too. I mean, I, when I well, the first day I went co-working, um, I I showed up in some guy's apartment that I had never met before, and I was introduced to 20 or so of, of the most you know wonderful, bright, inspiring. Uh, exciting people, uh, you know, who are all just working on great things. And I left at the end of the day having already built a website with someone I had met that day. And uh, and I said, you know, I want to spend as much time as I can around these kinds of folks. And and now I do. Now I'm now I'm here every day, and I'm working alongside some of the most incredible, inspiring people. And that's a big part of it, uh, you know. And and working alongside those kinds of people, nothing but good can come from it. Yeah, no, I agree with that very much. So you mentioned uh, a couple of times um, Regis. I'm not familiar with them. Maybe could you explain who they are and, and how they're different to what you do? Sure. So Regis is basically a, a a company that offers executive workspace, executive office suites, and they um, have a massive network. They're all over the world. They're in dozens of countries. Uh, within major cities, they may have you know a dozen locations. They may have a, a large number of locations. And they, have, they offer um, plans that would allow you to work in any of their spaces around the world. And so part of, part of this is that they make deals with corporate entities so that their employees can use the, these spaces when they're going on business trips and things like that. So I've, I've talked to people who said that they have Regis memberships that they never used. It's just it's part, of their, part of their job that they have it offered to them. Um, and the way it's different is basically in the way that it's rooted. Uh, you know, co-working spaces are very much rooted in this in this concept of community and people getting to know each other, and for you to not be a stranger with the person you're sitting next to. And Regis sort of is is the opposite. It's offering you the resources of an office 
um, but not necessarily giving you any... Not the community, right? Right. I mean, you're going to sit next to someone who just landed, you know. What's that? They've, they've taken what I described and scaled it. But it, when you say executive, like a lot of people working from home aren't executives. I mean, I'd like to be able to put people in co-working spaces that are making $2,000 a month. Where, you, you mean the... Um, you mean where the people are making $2,000 a month? Yeah. I mean, I, I, right. you know, I have freelancers and various people. I'd like to be able to... I, the, the, the cost structure, I'd like that to work enough so that you could, at, at that at that salary level, it would make sense to put them in a co-working space. And sure. I imagine what you're describing with Regis, it wouldn't fit that. So one of the things I've, I've, I've used to describe in the past to, to make it better to understand this is is the idea of a spectrum and this sort of co-working spectrum, uh, the spectrum being all the different kinds of people who might encounter, who might need something that resembles co-working. Mm-hmm. And... On one end of the spectrum is a person who maybe doesn't have any kind of a budget for, for any kind of a space. Uh, they're, they're a telecommuter or they're a freelancer, and they mostly like working from home. And so for them, maybe just going to a Starbucks or going to a cafe on occasion works fine, or going to one of these free co-working things called Jelly um, that happens every once in a while. And then on the extreme other end of the spectrum is a <coughs> – excuse me – on the extreme other end of the spectrum is a small business, maybe a startup, five or six or so people that is maybe not big enough to have their own space, uh, but doesn't necessarily, you know, want to work from their homes either. And so they have this need to be in a workspace and maybe even a more specific need to work around other similar businesses. And then in the in-between is where co-working is arising. And, and so the executive office suites and the, the places where you rent cubicles and you rent small rooms all sort of fall on the higher end of that spectrum. And then, you know, Starbucks and the cafes and things like that fall on the other end. And in the, in, in the middle, in that interim area, where you have maybe an individual or maybe a, a small group of people that have outgrown their living room but don't really want to be in cubicles and don't really want to have their own office space, that's sort of the middle ground where co-working is starting to arise. And so for the, you know, $2,000 employee that you're describing, you know, they probably wouldn't fit in well with the Regis, and, you know, the budget probably wouldn't work out for it either. Uh, and so they might be someone who's an ideal candidate for a co-working space. Hmm. What does the Regis cost per month? I don't know. It, it varies a lot because there's so many different locations. I mean, would it typically be like a thousand bucks a month? I think it is. I think it's. Um, I, I honestly don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. Wouldn't want to say something I don't know. So, but my my understanding is that the the general cost is higher than you know than the roughly equivalent thing for for a co-working space. And that, and what they're providing there is more formal business work environment, quiet. You can make phone calls, that kind of stuff. Exactly. All right. Cool. Um, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Is there anything that you want to talk about which we haven't covered? Well, I mean, you know, we touched on the, you know, the sort of this notion of, <coughs> excuse me, of it being a social movement versus a business. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's interesting territory for me because um, it's exactly the kind of, you know, it's what I want to explore. I want to, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit before the interview, we were, we were talking a little bit about this generational component and, um, I'm a millennial, and, and uh, one of the things that people are saying about millennials is that they have this um, inclination towards 
doing things that uh, in, that better the world, and uh, you know that there's this very uh, you know social uh, you know altruistic uh, maybe altruistic's not the right word, but you know what I'm trying to describe component to what people want to do. And there's there's been some studies that have said that uh, that uh, you know younger folks would actually take significant pay cuts to work for an organization that they believed was doing a social good uh, over, you know, a company that they didn't. And so I think that there's a growing trend there among people in my generation, both in that direction. Do you think that's a growing trend, or do you just think that as people get older, they want to make more money? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, the thing you know, is, I, if you're in your 20s, if you don't have, oh, I, I, I can't remember. It's something about something with your... You, you think with your heart when you're in your 20s, and then you think with your head when you're in your 40s. I, I forget. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, the, there's obviously the, the common phrase, you know, young and idealistic, right? I mean, if you're in your, yeah. your 20s, you know, you want to change the world and, and so on and so forth. But from what I've read, uh, my understanding from what I've read is that, uh, that our generation is, is particularly and, and distinctly focused on this sort of thing and, and perhaps as a consequence of being raised by, by baby boomers who have had their own culture, um, you know, people in the in-between maybe were more focused on personal self-accomplishment and, and advancing themselves and, you know, making lots of money. I think my generation is being a little more characterized by its desire to make a difference. And, you know, I, I don't have the benefit of, of perspective, but uh, I can tell you, you know, based on everything I've felt to date that, uh, you know, I have very little, very little interest in, in just, you know, making money and finding success for the sake of money and success. I'd much, much rather, uh, you know, continue to do what I've done, which is sacrifice uh, financial income uh, for the sake of doing something that's more meaningful and more satisfying. And, you know, maybe that's a more challenging route towards figuring out how to continue to do that and to start, you know, making, uh, you know, more money and significantly larger amounts of money. But... I think that's a great challenge to be working on, something I don't mind putting in a whole lot of effort to, to figure out. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we'd better wrap it up there because we're pretty much out of time. So, Tony, thanks very much for doing the interview. Good. Thank you so much, Adrian.